In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. We're still celebrating Victory Monday. I'm here with Ian Wright, Wright, Wright. Ian, how are you, sir? I am glorious on Victory Monday. Well, I want to start off with the biggest world exclusive. Sean DeKaiser is in London. He just landed with the Raiders. That, I mean, there couldn't be a better person to be in London than Deshaun Kaiser, I'll tell you that much. The giving soul that he is, you know, when the, when the going got tough, there was nobody that could throw a red zone interception like Deshaun Kaiser, I'll tell you that much. All right, and let's have a quick 10 seconds on Kaiser. Were you excited when we drafted him? You know... No, only because there was a reason he fell to that point in the draft. And the one thing I thought was he was very raw at Notre Dame. Um, it just it wasn't a pick that excited me. Brady Quinn wasn't a pick that excited me. Brian Whedon wasn't a pick that excited me. I didn't really like the sloppy seconds quarterback approach that the Browns took for a while. And Johnny Manziel was one. I just, just did not like him. You know, I have buddies that I used to work with that we used to talk all the time. And one of them was a huge Johnny guy. And I was like, I want nothing to do with Johnny Manziel. And when we drafted him, I just said, well, I'll cheer for the name on the front of the jersey. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, look, we're, we're a recent Browns podcast. We're not talking too much about history. So, mate, how do you feel with the Browns winning? You weren't even in the, in the stadium. You were at another stadium, I believe. Yeah. So. Um, my fiance and I went with some friends uh, down to Indianapolis to check out the Colts Raiders game. Uh, our friend Greg, big Colts fan. So I went and supported my Ohio State guys, uh, Paris Campbell, and then also uh, on the IR Malik Hooker. But as I sent you a photo, so we're sitting there watching the Colts Raiders game, and I've got uh, Jimmy Donovan and Dougie Deacon in my earpiece. So while everybody's cheering for you know what's going on in that game, I'm cheering, you know, on the side by myself, you know, I was, I was trying to stay neutral. And then in the second half, uh, you know, Greg had a buddy that was kind enough to get us into the club level. And I was able to watch the Browns on a screen from there. Uh, so I had my earpiece, I had my TV. I couldn't wait to get home from Indy to watch the game. I think I watched it uh, four or five times last night uh, just cause I wanted to look at just different things that were going on. So I know we talked about all the bad quarterbacks that the Browns have. And I think what, he, what really makes us forget about those guys is uh, Baker Mayfield. And uh, what a performance from him. Yeah, I've got to say, I've watched it back again. And every time, he just looked like a different player. Just taking that extra one, two steps into the pocket, feeling comfortable. Yeah, very impressed. He looked significantly more comfortable. And, you know, one of the things that we talked about in the past was Baker getting in rhythm and being able to control the offense. And, you know, a lot of times people say, Oh, you want to eliminate distractions through the week. You could tell when he got into the podium on that, that post game that he wanted, he was waiting for that Rex Ryan question. He feeds off of that adversity, all those haters, the doubters, all the naysayers the he eats that up. And then when it starts going like he did on Sunday, I mean, it just goes so well. It's fun to watch because, you know, you see guys that don't necessarily step up, step up and make plays because a guy like Baker is just leading the charge. Yeah, I was a bit concerned about Baker going into the game because I thought maybe he's building himself up a bit too much pressure here. But then when I watched him walking into the stadium, he looked really switched on. He looked, he was in the game. The first snap, I was like, oh God, please Nothing Brownsy, nothing Brownsy, please. And then, yeah, obviously, we got a momentum going and, and, and we all know the result. Well, what was really interesting is, is you could tell they were fired up. So the Browns come out, win the toss, and take the ball. And everybody's kind of like, oh, this isn't common. You don't do it. I mean, they were ready to go. And, you know, obviously the first drive didn't end up what we wanted to. Um, ended up punting on that one. And it took a little bit. It was a little sluggish getting started. 
you know, but I think you had two teams that were very prepared to face each other. So that, I think that's one of the reasons that we started off to that sluggish start. But as you saw, once Baker got going uh, right before half and then even into the third quarter, um, look out. I mean, that guy, there's no doubt in our minds, I think that within a couple of years, you're looking at a top five, top 10 quarterback in the league. On this podcast, Ian, I'm going to let you run with it with some of your highlights, some of your stats. So if you just want to keep firing away and I'll give my input uh, afterwards. Well, one of the things, we'll stick to the offensive side of the ball. I thought that the offense at times found some really good rhythm and at times, you know, kind of stuttered here and there. Um, the offense, we do, I know we do a lot of grading scales and stuff like that. Um, I went with a B on offense for them. Um, some of the things that I really liked, you know, this is, the Browns went into this game losing six out of the last seven to Baltimore. So this was a monkey they wanted to get off their back. All week, Baker and Freddie and all these guys are like, oh, are you giving up play calling? Are you going to do this? Todd Monken, that. Nobody really knows what Todd Monken is getting into. So from the sense of people saying, oh, we should change the offense three weeks into the season is just preposterous. So then we see a game like this where the offense gets going, and from there, the rhythm starts coming. We have guys like Damian Ratley step up, Dontrell Hilliard step up. You know, we, we watch the offensive line magically become good again and start creating run holes for Nick Chubb for him to run as wild as possible. And, you know, it just was one of those things where it snowballed in a good effect where I never really felt at any point during that game that the Browns were going to kind of lose it away. You know, I felt like we were really in control that whole time. It's interesting. Mary Kay tweeted, I think, somewhere late in the game that, oh, my God, Odell Beckham's made his first catch in the fourth quarter but I think you could clearly see even on TV even in a, in a busy pub that every time Odell had a couple of people on him which made all the space for everyone else oh absolutely and you know I think some of the things that get lost and I, I think I've heard I think Jake Burns even talked about it, a few people have talked about it you know when Odell isn't catching balls what is he doing you know, and I know that in the first half, he drew two penalties, you know, on the illegal contact and on the defensive holding. And even on the, uh, the seam route that Ricky Seals-Jones caught and took for 59, if you watch Baltimore's defenders, the, their integrity, and I even see now people are saying Earl Thomas in Baltimore is just, you know, playing ad hoc. He's not really, you know, fitting into their scheme. He's just ad-libbing whenever he wants. Guys like Odell Beckham caused that. You know, when you decide you're going to double them, even if you go back and watch, and I've only seen the TV copy now, um, so I haven't seen the All-22, but on the first touchdown to uh, Ricky Seals-Jones, Beckham is running a crossing route. There are five guys from Baltimore's defense basically blanketing the three guys that the Browns had in the middle of the field. Jarvis was to the top left um, in man coverage. But then you watch the linebacker, I believe Tony Jefferson as well, both freeze when Baker looks to Odell, and then boom, he turns left. And it was wide open for Ricky Sills Jones. Same on that 59-yarder. Jones comes out, starts running the, um, the, the slot kind of seam up to the uh, edge. Beckham's front. Tony Jefferson steps up. I'm not even sure what he was doing. You know, I think he, he had a really bad game. I'd be curious to see what he ended up graded out at. But Odell's contribution doesn't have to necessarily be seen in the stat sheet. And I think that's a kind of a lazy article to say, oh, and this is coming from a guy who has Odell on my fantasy team. And everybody told me, oh, he's overdrafted. You took him in the first round, he's overdrafted. You know, two catches, 20 yards, but the impact he had on a game. Go look at Jarvis Landry's plays. If you're gonna if you're gonna single coverage or single cover Jarvis Landry and you're gonna shade your protect your uh, coverage to Odell, the middle of the field was wide open all day. Whether it was the pass to Farrell Brown, whether it was the seam route to RSJ, as I'll call him now. I mean, Beckham creates just so much open space in the secondary that it, it's just a lazy to say, oh, he's only made two catches when he does so much more for the offense. Yeah, I thought um, Beckham had, uh, sorry, Baker had some screen passes to uh, Chubb as well, which was nice to see. So really varying the game up for Chubb as well. He's not just a, a power back. No, I think I, you know, I think you and I have said, and I even I discussed with Rodney on Saturday, Nick Chubb is just, the way he was running the ball, finishing runs. And we used to watch Adrian Peterson kind of do this, where it's like he would get one yard, two yard, four yard, three yards, negative one, and then 70. What's odd with Nick Chubb is 
he'll get maybe a negative two, but then he'll get a six, a nine, a 12, you know, and then all of a sudden he houses an 88 yarder. His vision when he's coming through, you know, especially on the 88 yarder, um, I think it was Jake that even pointed out his cutback vision to see a hole that wasn't there. I mean, he comes up, he sees the hole, and then he's gone. I was on a shorter touchdown run than I was thinking of. But even getting contributions. So the first touchdown we had, Damian Ratley makes a crucial third down catch. I think it was third and seven. Baker puts the ball on him. That continues that drive. You know, and then um, right before Jarvis had that inside kind of pitch handoff, um, Dontrell Hilliard had an incredible blitz pickup that really sprung him for that catch over the middle. Because you remember, right, we had gotten, I think, a penalty. So it was a first and long. Boom, we come right down. So you have guys like Dontrell Hilliard, Damian Ratley, Ricky Seals-Jones. These are smaller-time guys that are able to step up and contribute when that offense is humming. Yeah, also um, for our uh, Brown, I know he caught one. He was also blocking a lot. He stood up. Uh, I know uh, I listened to Pete Smith, and like Pete's like, he's not an NFL player. But, you know, he's... He's coming along and maybe watch his space. He, he may be around for two or three years. Well, I think Nick Chubb may disagree because on his first touchdown run, um, I believe they had Farrell lined up in the fullback spot. And then also on Dontrell Hilliard's run at the end to kind of put that 40 burger on the table. If you look, Farrell Brown is the one that blew that hole open and he was quite excited afterwards. He gave us the nice little, uh, the muscle flex. So to say that Farrell Brown, I think, you know, you're talking about a young guy that's developing, but, I know a lot of people are pointing out the number of um, 21 personnel that we're going in, or I'm sorry, 12 personnel. So we're going to go over to the whole third, you know, 13 personnel, and people will start breaking that down. I think you know, that may get a little monotonous at times, but you could definitely tell that the Browns wanted to use the tight end more. They did. And Demetrius Harris, while I don't think he caught a pass, I think he was integral when it comes to 165-yard rushing performance by you know, the man Nick Chubb. Yeah, it's interesting that – I thought he was going to get targeted quite a lot in this game, um, Harris. But yeah, it was spread relatively even across all the tight ends. Or maybe not, but the time on their field was evenly spread. Yeah, I think each one of them played a role. I mean, Harris and Brown more for their, you know, staying in the box and blocking. And Farrell leaked out on that one and had that, I think it was an 18-yarder. And then Ricky Seals-Jones. Even that back shoulder throw. I mean, for Baker to have the confidence in a guy that's only been there for less than a month to say, hey, it's a crucial third down, buddy. I'm coming to you on a back shoulder. He went up there and grabbed that ball. So, I mean, Baker's got confidence in him. I think that we all should too. Yeah. I think one thing that hasn't been discussed that much on uh, – I've listened to quite a lot of podcasts today – is the O-line. How do you think it did, uh, Ian? So, the offensive line, I think, obviously, it was pretty easy to tell had its best game. But I think they also were the most in rhythm they've been. Um I think especially if you go back, Joe Thomas, I know, pointed out how Nick Chubb on the long run saw what was developing and Baltimore got completely undisciplined. Greg Robinson comes off the line. I think he just impedes a linebacker and he's in open space. So during Chubb's touchdown run, you got your left tackle, your quarterback and your running back sprinting down the field like it's no tomorrow. I, I thought that overall they played very well as a unit. Um, JC Treader, I think played really well, not hundred percent sure what he did on that personal foul that they gave him in the, you know, the choking situation. I saw him get shoved in the back and then push into some guys. So, you know, I'm not going to give him a negative mark for that, but, uh, overall, I think Kush had a couple procedural pennies penalties that he'll want to correct. Um, I know that he had a false start early. Um, Demetrius Harris, I think had a false start late, but from an offensive line standpoint, you know, we didn't have any of those pre-snap uh, penalties that really killed us. In the fourth quarter, I think we only had two accepted penalties for six yards, and one of them was Miles Garrett offsides and a two-point conversion. So overall, I think that the offensive line really kind of just came together. They had a really good plan in place, and I thought they executed really well. And I think the result of that is 500-plus total yards and 165 yards rushing for one of the best running backs in the NFL. Did you see the O-line rotating at all, or did it say the same all the way throughout? Other than adding in the tight ends for some of the big packages, they, I, I didn't see – I saw McCray get in there when we had that extra lineman. But for the most part, 
I think the snap count was all consistent because nobody came out for a play or anything like that. I think we had Robinson, Batonio, Treader, Cush, and uh, Hubbard straight across the board the whole time. All right, great. Uh, anything else you want to dis- discuss on the offense? Um, offensively, I think that I know it's easy to pick this one up out of the stat sheet, um, but Jarvis Landry's impact was far more than just the catches he had. Um, you know, one of the things that I think that we had even mentioned on other uh, shows was the Browns, does, they need to be able to keep their composure. And if you go back and watch the first quarter, they were grabbing Landry's face mask. They were in his grill. They were pushing him. They were really trying to bait him. And, you know, Jarvis prides himself on being a physical player, but I thought he did a fantastic job keeping his composure, not getting a 15-yard penalty because we saw that retaliatory penalties are generally called more often than the first one. So, you know, other than Landry having, you know, the monster day receiving, I thought before he went out with a concussion and, you know, hopefully that's minor because I think they're saying he got that on that running play down where he hit the ground and he popped up and wanted the touchdown. And, oh, by the way, what a terrible spot he got on that. Uh, one down where they marked him out at the seven or they marked him at the eight. I was like, come on now. He was definitely down at the seven, but I thought he, yeah, his hand was clearly there. Yeah. And then they brought it back a full yard. The officials, Sean Hockley and the Browns tend to seem to be a little bit off. I mean, I know he was the guy that ruled Baker to be allowed to be hit in the head and all that other stuff. But overall, I think Landry gets my game ball um, just because the obvious one is Chubb because what a hell of a performance from him. But I really thought that, um, that Landry showed his value. And if you go back and look on that double reverse, go back and watch this. It almost looks like Landry wanted to run an option with Odell because Odell was running to the outside and he ended up keeping it. I'm wondering if there was a wrinkle in there that gave Landry the ability to pitch that out. I'll have to look because, you know, sometimes he holds the ball with one hand, so it's tough. But for the most part, I was wondering, I was like, I wonder if there's an option built into that. So just something to take a look at. Something I noticed. I'd really like to see it from the all 22 angle though. And yeah, what, what do you think of that? Uh, was it triple reverse? Um, do you think it was too much? Do you think it was ideal? Do you think Ratley should have done better? Damian Ratley, come on, man. Let's come down with that ball. I mean, it, it, he, he was one-on-one. He had boxed out his defender, and Odell throws a 65-yard pellet. What was most impressive about the play is his ability to split new defenders to avoid the sack before throwing a frozen rope. Six, I mean, we thought Jarvis Landry had an arm. I'd like to see Landry and Beckton to see who can throw it farther. I mean, we were talking about Deshaun Kaiser having an arm, but I got my money on one of them beating even him out. Yeah, mate, it was, it was great to watch. Obviously, we, no one knew what was going on. I wonder how many more trick plays we got like that for the rest of the season. It, it shows, and you know, trick plays are obviously great, but I think it just shows Freddie's creativity and his trust in the guys to really let him do what they're good at. I mean, you have such freak athletes like Odell Beckham who can play soccer and throw and catch. And there's really nothing that a guy could probably pick up a tennis racket and do well. Let them just give it a try. I mean, what's the worst? That ball gets picked off of the two yard line. Okay. I mean, I thought from where they were on the field, I thought it was a, the risk did not outweigh the reward. So I have no problem with it. I like the creativity, but in the same sense, I really like just seeing the offense get in rhythm. And when an offense is in rhythm, a play like that's not going to deter you. Interestingly, Odell plays a lot, does a lot of bowling in his spare time. So uh, I wonder how good he is at bowling. I, I bet you he's good. I mean, he's just that guy that's just good at everything. I would like to f- get the list of things that Odell Beckham Jr. is not good at. I reckon I'll beat him at cooking. Yeah, you might, because I think he has the ability to pay somebody to do a whole lot <laughs> for him. So, but... Overall, who's get your game ball on offense? Yeah, I think you just got to go with Chubb simply because was it three uh, touchdowns, eighty-eight yards? I understand why you went, you go with Landry, but it's got to be Chubb. I just want to be outside of the the norm, so that's why I went with Landry. But I think both of them. The one thing with Landry that I like, or he reminded me a bit like Higgins. It reminded me of Baker to Higgins, a good connection. The ball seems to stick to his hands like glue. Always seems to be in a good place. Obviously there was that one interception. Oh, I saw that replay. I think Baker was a little late and I think Jarvis saw that safety coming down. I think Jarvis would have left the game significantly earlier with a concussion. If he'd have went for that ball, 
it was literally thrown to two Baltimore defenders and not in the right spot. So I think Landry is making a business decision on that one. And I think Baker's that's, that's on Baker. That's not on Landry. It looked like he stopped his route short, but for the most, you're getting in there to just get your head crushed. Risk doesn't uh, outweigh the reward on that one. Well, let's move over to the defense. What was your headlines on the defense, Ian? The headline of the defense was their ability to contain Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram. You know, one of the things that I really took away from my conversation with Rodney Bailey um, on Saturday was how our D-line being a little undersized could possess some problems. And, you know, one of the things that I noticed is people are out there giving Miles Garrett uh, slack because they say, well, he didn't make as much of an impact. And, you know, one of the things that he had pointed out was an undersized D-line like ours that Baltimore was going to try to exploit the middle running those inside wham plays and the quarterback draws, which they did. So there's clairvoyant thinking from him. But also you'll notice they're not running at Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett is phenomenal at setting the edge. And I think what they were doing is they were saying, instead of us rushing the passer all out on some of us and opening ourselves up to get gouged in the running game, I think we had very disciplined D-linemen in their running lanes. And this allowed Lamar Jackson, if you look, Lamar Jackson attempted three passes that were beyond 10 or 15 yards. Everything was short and sweet. The first one was the one that was completed out of bounds on the blown coverage. The second one was an 18-yard pass to, uh, I believe, Miles Boykin on the left side. And the third one was the one Jermaine Whitehead intercepted. So at no point was Lamar Jackson stretching us deep. So by us staying disciplined, I mean, I know they still rushed for 179 yards, but it just felt like when we put the pressure on them, the, the, the discipline of our defensive line to really contain them. I mean, I know Lamar Jackson ended with 60 odd yards rushing, but only seven of that, I believe was in the fourth quarter. And a lot of that was even negated by the Schobert 10 yard sack. So I thought the defense just really did a heck of a job containing Ingram um, and really just making sure that Lamar Jackson, the West coast style passing attack was what was going to have to beat us. And as you saw, it wasn't. There was one other player that I was always worried about, and that was Mark Andrews. And you can really see the size of him. That's kind of, I want the Browns to have two of him. You know, imagine the damage you could do with two Mark Andrews. Well, the Ravens have three. They have Mark Andrews. They have Hayden Hurst, who was drafted, I believe, higher than Mark Andrews. And they also have um, Nick Boyle. So they have three you know, country fed big boys right there in the tight end position. But I think that just showed how well the linebackers did in coverage. Um, I think those three combined for uh, seven catches, 74 yards. And I know that Baker was probably happy to uh, give a little ribbing to his, uh, his good buddy, Mark Andrews after that game. Yeah. Even tried copying him with that rubbish mustache. <laughs> hey, if you can't beat him, join him. But yeah. I, I hear what you're saying on the D line. It was nice to see the rotation of Lawrence, who got a sack or a pick. He had a tackle for loss and an interception. But you're right. The rotation, I thought, really allowed us to control the line of scrimmage. You know, we saw a little bit of Chad Thomas getting that fumble recovery. Um, You know, one of the things even Roddy mentioned about going to a different front because of the size. And I think we did see more, um, you know, Lawrence. We did see more Chad Thomas adding a little bit more beef because um, Ronnie Staley and Orlando Brown, I mean, in his assessment, he even saw that Orlando Brown was just mugging people all season. And here we go. We needed some size. You got Brown, you got Marshall Yonda, and you got Ronnie Staley. So three of their linemen are just maulers. And I thought we just did a fantastic job of matching size and technique. You know, Larry Joby was able to get in and make a tackle for loss. You know, and I know Jermaine Whitehead was the one that caused uh, Lawrence to get the interception. But how athletic for that guy to tip his own interception? I mean, at his size, you know, I thought that the D-line really just did a heck of a job controlling the line of scrimmage, staying in their rush lanes, and minimalizing that rushing attack. Because as much as that game went on, you know, there was one point where they brought it within six. They had not stopped Nick Chubb all day. So I was really confident in our defense to be able to maintain that lead. And, you know, once the offense hit the rhythm that it did, you know, I had a lot of confidence in the defense there. Yeah, well, moving on to the linebackers, my defensive uh, game ball would go to Schober all day long. 
Schobert. Oh, I don't know. I'd have to go with uh, Jermaine Whitehead. But the one thing about Schobert, and this is probably not the most popular take, so we're going to have to hot take this. All right, guys, if you're a regular listener at this point, please turn off for one minute. Go and give us a nice review while you listen to Ian's doom and gloom. Let's have it, Ian. It, it, it's not necessarily doom and gloom. I think that Joe Schobert played a great game. I think Mac Wilson showed he was a rookie. I mean, combined, they ended up with, I think, 24 tackles. I think Schobert had 17 and um, Mac had seven. Schobert had nine solo tackles and a sack. The linebackers were good, not great. I don't think we have a set of linebackers, say like the Chicago Bears, who have you know Roquan Smith and Danny Trevathan, who can make impacts. I think that the D-line really helps the linebackers excel. Um, I thought a couple times they got a little bit washed uh, in, the, in the mess. I will say Schobert made one great tackle. Um, I believe he had the open field tackle right before the Ingram fumble. Um, I'm sure somebody out there will double check that one. But yeah, Schobert made a nice play coming across. He raked across, um, ha- ended up getting the fumble on that one. So Mac Wilson, a little bit lost at times. I think his athleticism helped contain Lamar. But I need a little bit more out of them. I want some more impact plays. Um, but overall, very good grade. But no, I think that 17 tackles was more of a result of the Baltimore uh, running game than it was Schobert just playing out of his mind. I think he was didn't, good. Didn't Schobert get one sack and one interception as well? Schobert had a sack on the last drive during the garbage time. And then I know he was – I would like to go see this replay. I think he stripped Hayden Hurst on that last one as they were going to the ground. But I never really got a good angle on that one. Hmm. All right. Well, let's move on to the uh... – Cornerbacks. Now, here's a question before we start. Would you start um, Williams and Ward or Carey and Mitchell we go into the next game if everyone was healthy? Uh, I think that's an embarrassment. Absolutely. Well, we're assuming that everybody's 100. I think that's an embarrassment of riches that you like to have. I think that Ward and Williams are faster corners. You know, when you're going up against Baltimore – we really had to make sure that we didn't let Marquise Brown go over the top. With San Francisco, they have a guy named Marquise Goodwin, who I think is one of the fastest, if not the fastest guy in the NFL. This guy was a um, track athlete at Texas, University of Texas. I think he was national champion. I mean, this guy can just flat out run. His catching ability is a little limited. So having a guy like Denzel Ward, who's a 4-3 guy in his own right, you know, maybe against a guy like TJ Carey, who's probably more towards like a four or five nowadays. I think I would let them play, but you could definitely cycle those guys to keep them fresh because I think um, Carey and Terrence Mitchell have really shown that they are starting caliber cornerbacks and having those four guys gives you one of the more formidable quads of cornerbacks in the league. Because I don't think anybody has four corners that they're that confident in like the Browns do. Yeah, I've always said this. We've got great depth there in the secondary, even in the safety room as well, I believe. So, um, yeah, and even even then behind that, there's still people that could step up if we really need to. So, uh, Dorsey's done a great, great job of building that uh, cornerback room. Oh, absolutely. And you see when that defense is really firing on all cylinders – so if you think about it, if I'm not mistaken, when uh, Olivier Vernon got the first sack of the game, that ended that drive. Then Demarius Randall gets a sack later on, that ends that drive. So not only are they making plays, they're making plays at big-time points in the game. Um, I think a play that will probably go overlooked that I really liked. So right before uh, Baltimore kicks their field goal to make it 10-10, Eric Murray makes a fantastic open field tackle on Lamar Jackson, which as we can see is not an easy task, but that prevents him from getting a first down. Um, I think it was in the third quarter, if I'm not mistaken, right, uh, right after half makes a fantastic tackle, holds him to a field goal, you know, so just guys like that could step up and make a play. You know, Schobert had the open field tackle Jermaine Whitehead with that acrobatic interception. And then also, perfect time safety blitz to come in and hit the arm of Lamar Jackson 
for a guy that has not been intercepted at all that year to have two out of three passes intercepted in the fourth quarter. That was it. That was the end of the game. You know, start the buses. Let's go. Um, so Baltimore came out with a very determined plan in the first quarter and the third quarter that they were going to just pound it down, you know, our throats. They were just going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. And when they forced that fumble on Ingram, I think that kind of took them out of their, uh, out of their plan a little bit. And the Browns defense really stepped up and was able to make them pay for that. There was one play that they messed up their um, wide receiver didn't have two feet down, but he looked totally, totally open. What do you think happened there? I think much like the Mark Andrews touchdown, when you do have guys coming in that haven't played as many snaps together as we'd have liked, you're going to have a communication breakdown every once in a while. Because if you watch on the Andrews touchdown, I think both Schobert and Randall both played the same role. They stayed under as opposed to dropping back, which gave Mark Andrews the uh, opening over the top. If you look at I think they probably thought – I'd have to go back and look because they kind of – if you look, Miles Garrett almost has the sack on that play. He steps up and throws it to him. It was one of those ones – they were probably in zone, didn't realize somebody didn't come over to have, think they had help over the top. Luckily, Lamar Jackson's accuracy pushed him out of bounds. Um, you know, if he throws that to the inside, the playing side shoulder, you know, we could be looking at a different outcome, but for the most part, you're going to have a couple of miscommunications. I mean, we saw even the Rams have it, uh, yesterday where Mike Evans was walking into the end zone backwards sideways because Marcus Peters and Akib Talib, I think had a miscommunication. So it does happen. You want to minimize that. And I think the more and more these guys play with each other, the less likelihood that is of happening. Yep. Moving into the safeties room, you can't argue Whitehead really stood up, uh, took a st- stood in the right. He really stepped up in this game. He came out, no bad tackles that I saw anyway. That catch he did was world-class. Yeah, I mean, that just shows you the amount of athleticism he has. And anytime your secondary can keep a team from having more than 61 yards receiving amongst the entire core, and... I know that there is a rush out there to anoint young quarterbacks into the league. And Lamar Jackson was the beneficiary of Miami in week one and Arizona week two, where he was mopping up stats. But, you know, we can look back at the final box score and say Lamar Jackson was 24 of 34, 247 yards, three touchdowns and two interceptions. Yet anyone who watched that game knows the secondary held coming into the fourth quarter. Lamar Jackson was 13 of 20. For a hundred, I'm sorry, in the fourth quarter alone, he was 13 of 20 for 156 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Coming into the fourth quarter, he was 11 of 14 for 91 yards. So everything was very quick. As I said earlier, he was not throwing the ball downfield. Everything, you know, we, why wasn't Miles Garrett impacting passer? Lamar Jackson was back, one quick read, ball was out. If you go back and look at the play by play, you'll see. Lamar Jackson, pass short right, pass short middle, pass short left. Everything was quick. Get the ball out. You know, give them a couple yards. Ben, don't break. And, you know, if you really look at the stats, if we eliminate that final drive, which was, you know, garbage time, so the game's out of hand, where Lamar Jackson went 4 of 4 for 94 yards and a touchdown. I mean, we're talking about a guy that was 20 of 30, you know, 156 yards. I mean, it's – he didn't have an impact in the game when the game mattered the most. And that is the hat tip to the secondary because Hollywood Brown wasn't getting over the top. Thank you to Marius Randall. I think he did a wonderful job containing him and nobody else really played a factor. I mean, when you watch the game, was it a receiver? You were like, Oh, this guy scares me. No, no one at all. Um, the, the only person that really scared me was um, Andrew's tight end. Yeah. And he was the one that had the most impact. But, I mean, to start the fourth quarter, Lamar Jackson's completions, 11, 8, 5, 5, 8, 4, 10, 4, 7. Interception, incomplete interception. That, that right there is a phenomenal job by Steve Wilkes, understanding his personnel and saying, I can control the line of scrimmage with four, you have to pass, and now I got guys. Now I know – Schobert and uh, I think it was TJ Carey on the edge that missed the tackle on the final touchdown. That is going to be what's played in the film room the most today where they're sitting there going, 
we had him and look what you did. What, you know, change the scenario. That's a walk-off touchdown. So I think something like that really gives Steve Wilkes the ability to come out and say, hey, we're good, but we're not there yet. You know, one of the things that Rodney mentioned was about pressure kept in the pocket. And I thought we did a great job of that, which really allowed the guys on the outside to win. And I think they did a heck of a job overall on defense. I gave them an A minus, near flawless performance. You know, we had a couple snafus towards the end. But for the most part, you know, I would say my game ball goes to Jermaine Whitehead after that performance because what a heck of a job he did. And here we go, mate. Would you go with the offense or the defense as the best, the better position or, or side of the ball? Defense. I think the defense allowed the offense and obviously they work hand in hand together. We understand that. Um, but you really had a defense that I thought set the tone, you know, Baltimore came out, said, Hey, this is what we want to do. We didn't allow them to do what they wanted to do. Um, you know, Lamar Jackson was throwing hail Marys against Kansas city that were completed and they were intercepted versus us because I think our defense is that stout and having a defense like that, where I think the offense knows and they can feed off of guys like miles and OV who played really well because they were shifting the line towards miles. I think giving the offense the confidence to know if you go down and score, don't you worry. We're going to seal this out. I think the defense is very close to a pick six. And, you know, we've had a couple rumbling, stumbling, fumbling uh, turnovers. But for the most part, you know, I think that the defense right now is just slightly ahead of the offense. But the offense can come on strong. I mean, they didn't look as good as they could, and they still hung 40. Yeah, let's get a pick six against the uh, 49ers next week. That would be amazing. Jay, Jimmy G likes to throw him, so he is no uh, stranger to throwing interceptions. Uh, I'm sure Demarius Randall would have a nice performance if he was able to pick six one on Monday night. How do you feel Scottish Hammer did in this game? Oh, that's a, that's I do love me the Scottish Hammer. However, on my specialist, he was the second lowest graded guy. I think this was the game he struggled. Austin Seibert, Sniper Seibert fantastic all of his kicks were solid Jamie struggled he had you know this was a game where he was working with a lot of field in front of him so he really had an opportunity to use his leg you know and having three punts the longest being 46 yards but only a net of 32 the other two are fair caught having a net average under 40 yards gets you a c in my book he had the ability I know the first one he kicked out of bounds I will say this John Harbaugh and the Ravens have been special teams mavens for years. And I think that Prefer is on that level where you had a battle of the special teams Titans. I think both teams are so well coached that I think they were very conservative uh, on that side of the ball. The only part of the specialists that were a little lower than me were the kick return, which we'll get into. But for the most part, Gillen did a great job holding a average at best job punting. All right, let's go with the uh, Austin, the kicker. Sniper. Rhythm is there. Ball is exploding off his foot. I actually, I think on the Sunday night uh, graphics, they show you how long the kicks would be good from. I would like to see that 43-yarder he hit was pounded. I mean, Seibert, I know, you know, guys like Dustin Fox and them are really against drafting kickers, but – I think Seibert is showing you why he was worthy enough to be drafted. Fifth round or not, if they felt they needed him, he has a lot of talent. And, you know, I know one of the things that Jack and I talk about is the decisions you make on kickoffs, whether or not to return it. And I think our kick coverage a couple times, Seibert did a wonderful job popping the ball up, dropping it right there on the goal line and forcing them to return it. And our kick coverage team did a heck of a job. So I thought I gave Seibert an A. I thought he did fantastic. His kicks were good. His kickoffs were good. So nothing but high marks for uh, for Mr. Sniper Seibert. Yeah, if I'm correct, Freddie gave him the uh, game ball. As he should, because I think that was his best performance to date. And I think Freddie said it a couple weeks ago that he wants to have that confidence where when I yell field goal, I'm turning my back to go do something else, and I know what's going to happen behind me. So I think Austin is slowly, get, surely getting there. And, you know, a town like Cleveland gravitates to kickers. You know, hashtag kickers are people too. Um, so for the brand, I think we found a good one in Austin Cyber. Well, let's talk long snapper. I'm only joking. Um, 
Charlie. I love me, Charlie Hewitt. No. I have got a story about him, actually. On air or off air story? Uh, we'll go online. I was with Zen Gonzalez in London, and he said Charlie's a huge drinker. If you're a long snapper, I mean, I was at Ohio State with a guy named Jake McQuaid, and that's not shocking. So, okay. but hey, put the ball back there, Ryan Pompreon style. Hey, that's all we need. So, Charlie, if you're listening, let me know, and uh, I'll gladly uh, toast one to you, buddy, because you're doing a phenomenal job. Let's finish up with uh, the coach. How do you think Freddie's play calling was? I think Freddie really showed signs of growth. But real quick before we get there, let's talk about the Browns' kickoff return. Taiwan Taylor, please stay in the end zone. I, this was my lowest grade on the specialist. I thought he was bad. There was two times. Listen, I know Nick Chubb bailed him out on that 88-yard run, but the first time he decided touchback, good decision. The second time, we started at the 13-yard line. The third time, we went back to a touchback. And on the fourth time, we started at the 18-yard line, then got a procedural penalty, went back to the 12, and then that's when uh, Nick Chubb decided to run the rest of the way for us. But Taiwan, if the ball's in the end zone, leave it alone. You're not getting to the 25. Take the free yards. You know, I'm sure Prefer's saying the same thing. They're excited. They want to run one back. But, you know, starting at the 13, starting at the 18, Justin Tucker was doing a great job of popping it up and dropping it on that goal line and daring him to run. And I think that Baltimore really had the advantage in our kickoff return that one we need to improve because uh, we can do better than that. Do you think he's just going to get cut next week when uh, Callaway comes back? I think that's going to be dependent on Jarvis because if Jarvis is in concussion protocol, then we may need to keep that with Callaway coming back. And Higgins is another one. Um, I think he serves a role. I just don't know if it's on kickoff or turn yet. Um, they did trade for him, so I don't think he's going to get cut. But for the most part, we may see – you know, some other movement maybe on the practice squad side. But I think the guy has a lot of talent, but I just think that his decision-making on these kickoffs is a little bit uh, a little bit weary. Okay. Freddie. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't blown away by it. I was like, when we went down on the 13, I was like, ugh, really? Yeah. I just didn't think there was a need at that point in the game. Take the touchback. Go to the 25. You know, you're talking about a first down difference between that so just take the knee you, the risk isn't there yet like if you know later on in the game i know they did the pooch kick i didn't even count that one if you want to try it there where they drop it at the five okay but that, that, it's too much in the, the heat of the game to be coming out and getting leveled at the 13 yard line risk fumbling there's just the risk doesn't outweigh the outweigh the reward now freddie kitchen play calling a lot of people are going right now to the whole, the old Freddy's back, the 2018 offense is back. I think that they were progressing that way. I think there was some concepts they wanted to try to build in. And a lot of the things with Monday morning quarterbacking is we can sit back and say, hey, this worked, that worked, this didn't work, that didn't work. But I think as I told you after the, uh, the Rams game, the one thing that I really liked about Freddy was his willingness to say, this is on me, this I'm to blame. Fast forward one week, what did they ask him? Hey, Freddie, why was the offense so good? And the first thing he did is said, it's because of the guys. Freddie is definitely a we, not an I guy. He's, there's no me in that guy. I thought he did a fantastic job of attributing success to the players who deserved it. You know, recognizing a guy like Cybert with a game ball. I mean, it showed me a lot. It showed me more about Freddie in the adversity time when he was willing to take it all himself and, you know, act as that Kevlar shield to the staff, you know, so I knew that when the Browns got winning again, that all this, you know, second guessing and Monday morning quarterbacking uh, Freddie Kitchens was going to go away because I think he just is wired correctly. I think he just knows as a coach, I'm going to make bad play calls. I'm going to make good play calls. It's going to happen. But at the end of the day, you know, he's owning who he is as a person and his confidence isn't wavering. So, I was as impressed with his post game this time, which really just solidified my thoughts from what I heard in the last press conference, which was, you know, after a loss. There was one moment. I don't remember when it was in the game, but I think Baker called a timeout. And I think Freddie was like, what are you doing? Like, was that that two point conversion? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think it was like, son, what the fuck you just done? <laughs> I think it was one of those ones where Ratley didn't know what he was doing. And he looked at him like, 
I don't think we really needed to waste the time out on a two-point conversion. You know, we're up. This is a little bit more of a cosmetic. If push comes to shove, we'll just kick the field goal. So I think that, yeah, that was one of those. Because uh, he got fired up a couple times. But to give him credit, you know, we talk about composure. We talk about penalties. Browns only had six penalties for 41 yards. And, you know, I know we had that kerfuffle with the, the choking, which I'm not even – I know people have said Odell through – I haven't seen it. I went back and looked. Him and Humphrey were locked up, and they were going arm to arm, and, you know, hands go wide. But I didn't see him wind up and punch. I thought Freddie did a great job of really controlling the guys because Baltimore was out there. They were trying to muck this up. They were trying to make it messy, and they were trying to bait the Browns. And whatever message Freddie's been giving them the last couple weeks has, you know, really helped because six penalties for 41 yards is a miles improvement from where we were a couple weeks ago where I think we were leading the NFL by about two games worth of penalties. It was a messy win, but on the other hand, a well-good performance by the Browns. Oh, absolutely. You know, I had mentioned before, I thought it was really just kind of a feel-good win. You know, it wasn't our best football. I think we know that. Um, I think the perspective of the team changes. I think it validates the message that Freddie's given in the locker room. You know, we heard how guys like Bill Cow or Bill Belichick rally up the troops. There is no doubt in my mind that Freddie Kitchens had those guys itching. They've already given up on you. Who are you? You're, you're, they want to take you off prime time. They're saying you're not worthy. You're overrated. I mean, they gave Freddie so much material to just use in his favor. I think that that team was fueled up. I think they really used the pride of the city of Cleveland. I think they played for each other. They had that mad at the world because you saw it when they got done. I mean, other than a guy like Nick Chubb, I mean, Baker was fired up in that post game. I mean, he, they, they said that thing about Rex Ryan. He's like, that guy gives him no credit, you know? So you could tell, you know, Freddie had them fired up. And I think that speaks volumes for him because you earn the, the trust in the locker room. I mean, you know, I'm still not 100% sure what was going on with the – I know Freddie was a little hot at the uh, that blindside block that they called on Ratley, which Al Riveron, can, can I get an explanation on that? I mean, if I'm Freddie Kitchens, I'm losing my cool on that one. Heck, I was yelling at the Jim Donovan's like, what the heck is that call? So Freddie's doing a good job of showing his fire towards outside, but being able to keep the composure on the inside. So I think he's doing a fantastic job. I am team Freddie right now all the way. I don't really understand that rule. So someone – who's not part of the pocket can't get involved with that tackle. Is that right? So it's an overreaction years ago. The, if you're in, there was a wide receiver for the Steelers called Heinz Ward, and he really made a career on this thing called a crack back block. And in essence, what it is, is you start with your receivers on the outside or in Greg Robinson's case in week one, if a defender allegedly does not see you coming and you ear hole him, hit him right in the side of the helmet, it is considered an illegal blindside block. What I thought they got wrong in the Greg Robinson interpretation of the rule was Malcolm Butler was looking at the play, so he hit him in the front side of the shoulder. With Damian Ratley, if I'm not mistaken, Owosu's coming down the line on a play that's developing that way. Ratley steps in, does not light him up. I mean, he comes in, makes a, a mild average block at best to the guy's shoulder. Guy falls down. You know, he's not even screaming looking for a penalty, so – it's, it's an overreaction to a headhunting thing that used to happen in the NFL called a crackback block, of which they want to take out the game. Jarvis Landry has made his fair share of crackback blocks where the play is going out either to the right or left, and he's coming against the wall to seal the edge on that linebacker. And I just thought it was an absolutely terrible call because there was nothing illegal about that hit. It was clean. He didn't hit him in the head. I mean, for the shots we saw this week in the NFL, I think we have several players ejected for targeting, you know, most notably the one that I saw live, Vontez Perfect. I think we all know an illegal hit when we see one. And when you look at it and go, that's 15 yards. I mean, Marlon Humphreys is going full WWE style on Odell Beckham's neck. And that is an offsetting penalty. Yet Greg Robinson's kick, I mean, it's just, the NFL is struggling right now with the interpretation of the rules. Cause I'm not sure if you watched the Thursday night game, there was a play where Derek Barnett from the Eagles came in and just absolutely lit up the running back Jamal Williams from the Packers. And you know, my theory on that is you have a guy who's 280 pounds running full speed with his helmet as a weapon. That is not an ejectable hit, but a guy slapping or punching a guy with his hand in the helmet is like, I get the principle of the behavior, but if we're all about player safety, 
I would think Derek Barnett running full speed with his helmet is much more in the player safety uh, risk than, you know, Odell Beckham in a downfield block getting handsy with Marlon Humphreys who decides to take him to the ground and choke him out. I mean, that's just, that's unacceptable. And I've, I said it in the first podcast that the Browns were going to be targeted. Watch Pernell McPhee, watch Marlon Humphrey, watch Earl Thomas, you know, watch these guys. They're going to go at the Browns. They're going to push. They're going to shove. They're going to do whatever they can, hoping the Browns retaliate because guys like Beckham don't exactly get the benefit of the calls. It's the opposite of the NBA. That superstar rule does not apply because how many visors have we seen in the NFL that are infinitely darker than the one they pulled Odell out for? I mean, it's clear as obvious as anybody, but we can't really blame the officials and stuff like that. I thought it was a pretty poorly officiated game overall. Um, but hats off to Freddie Kitchens for keeping the guys focused and not letting it affect us at the end of the day. In soccer in England, we've got all great. <clears throat> My voice has gone from celebrating Chubb. Um, yeah, in the... In uh, soccer in, in, uh, over in the UK, it's all gone crazy with VAR, video uh, assistant referee, and it's really, really slowing up the game. So uh, I hopefully it's, it carries on free-flowing in American football. Well, oddly enough, in my youth, I used to be a soccer referee. So I'm very familiar with in the opinion of the referee. And what's crazy is, is even with VAR, they still can't get it right, you know. The NFL is a big, fast-moving game. And, you know, I understand that players need to be protected. But you can't call head slaps on this quarterback and not on this quarterback. I mean, I have a funny feeling that if Miles Garrett did to um, Dak Prescott what the kid from New Orleans did last night to end the game, he'd have got flagged for it. You know, it, there's just – there's a very loose interpretation of how these are being presented. And the NFL's response to saying, oh, we made that mistake on that one I mean, they made a mistake in Denver giving uh, Bradley Chubb a, a roughing the passer that ended up costing them a win. I mean, some of these calls are determining outcomes of game. And, yes, I understand that guys have to make field goals after that. But regardless, they have to make sure there's a level of consistency. I think they really missed the boat adding this review of pass interference nonsense, which nobody knows what egregious is. When you watch anything in slow motion, you can probably find an element of PI. But for the most part, Let's, let's focus on cleaning up these 15-yard roughing the passers and blindside blocks because, you know, obviously the Browns overcame Ratley's, but you're talking about momentum-killing penalties that are not penalties. So, you know, again, Freddie's doing a great job bringing him down. I'd like to see us maybe stay under five penalties a game, you know, if we eliminate the false start and the illegal shifts and stuff. Um, I think that's a good way to get there. But, you know, Freddie's doing, doing a good job really getting it home that we're not practicing penalties. Well, Ian, we're sitting top of the division. What's next for the Browns? I mean, we have a very challenging game going out west. Another Monday nighter. So, you know, it's going to be business as usual. San Francisco is a very good team. Um, I think if you look, you know, their defensive line, they have a lot of first round assets on that line. Nick Bosa, DeForest Buckner, Solomon Thomas. I mean, they have talent. I think they struggle in the secondary a little bit. Um, but if you remember right a couple weeks ago, they put a whooping on the, uh, the Bengals. So their offense, it's a mixture in running back with Brita, with Raheem Mostert. Um, so they offer some unique challenges. George Kittles, they're really their main guy when it comes to targets, but they have a good mix. They have Dante Pettis. They have Marquise Goodwin. So they've got talent. Um, the Browns should win this game. Um, I know they're on the road, you know, but I thought it was a little bit of an embarrassment that the Browns were seven point underdogs in Baltimore. And if I'm not mistaken, they are two or three point underdogs in San Francisco. Um, so I'm not exactly sure I see that. Baker to me is a little bit above where Jimmy G is at this point. Um, so I look for the Browns to get out there on the West coast, handle business, and then make a quick flight home. Cause we got Seattle in two weeks at home. Um, and I think if I'm not mistaken, there's possibilities they may flex that game. So no, it's been confirmed. They're not going to nope. flex it. Okay. See, you're, you're on top of it, buddy. Breaking news. No flex. How, how good the uh, sources? I don't know though. Well, uh, with, you have more sources than I am, so I'm going to take, I'm going to take <laughs> your word for it. You heard it here first. Paul Brown says no flex. Uh, but one thing I will say is that we have won every game on the road so far this season. 
I think that really helps show what Freddie's able to do with controlling, you know, the culture around the team, making sure that we don't have guys out late. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, Nathan Zagura said that the team's going to be going out on Sunday. So they're going to go out, they're going to get their rest, they're going to play the game, and they're going to get to come home. So I think that, you know, for a guy that's played a lot of games on the West Coast coming East, he probably has a good feel for, you know, what players like to do. But I think the recipe of success, again, with the Browns is – Let's, you know, let's get up, let's get some points on the board and then let our defense sit back. And, you know, obviously we can't expect 165 yards and three touchdowns out of Nick Chubb every game, but I think he possesses that ability where you have to consider him. So now, you know, Kyle Shanahan really likes to run that zone re or that, um, that zone blocking scheme where a lot of runs into the outside. I wouldn't be surprised if Freddie kind of counters that and says, we can do our own minor version of zone blocking, but then also start hitting guys with the play action. Because now we've shown that if you try to double down on Beckham or your guys become very undisciplined, we're going to beat you in a myriad of ways. You know, I think Beckham really presents a challenge for them. Um, you know, I'll be curious to see who they put on him. You know, like Richard Sherman is obviously an established corner in this league. Does he have the ability to stay with uh, Odell? Landry's health is going to be a big one. There's a lot of spin. If you see anything on uh, Higgins, is he going to be coming back? There's been a lot of positive momentum around him. Yeah, I think he's going to be back with Callaway next game. Uh, some more inside information for you. The Raiders are out tonight in London, and sources are coming back to me is they're out in nightclubs. So uh, they're being bad boys. But look, if you think about it, it's the first night in a new uh, city. They haven't had any time off. They've flown straight from uh, uh, the Colts to here. Let them go out, try and keep up with the uh, jet lag. It's not a bad tactic, I don't think. It is. I mean, Gruden's going to keep – they played really well, honestly, watching them live. Uh, They got instant impact from Trevor Davis. I thought the Raiders looked pretty good. Um, You know, losing perfect. I I really like the guy in college. You know, I thought the Browns should look at him. But he's proven that's rough. So I actually saw that he flew home. So residents of London have no fear. Uh, Vontaze Perfect is nowhere near. So, you know, hopefully the guys enjoy themselves a little bit. But, uh, you know, overall, what do you think? You think the Browns? I mean, San Francisco's a tough team. What do you, what do you see? Um, yeah, I'm going to go with a away win just because – I think the Seahawks at home are going to be tougher than uh, the 49ers away. Um, we've got time. Obviously, they've had a, a, a buy, the 49ers. So they've got lots of time to recoup. Where I think we're in a bit of a tempo. I'm glad we haven't got a buy at the moment. We're getting the results. So, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's play the 49ers on a Monday night. Let's go for it. Well, the, the tale of two worlds on this one is, so the Seahawks actually play this Thursday against the Rams. So the Browns play Monday, and then they both play on Sunday. So the, the Seahawks are going to have a good bit more rest than the Browns going into that game on Sunday. But they do have to come all the way from the West Coast to the East Coast. But my guess is they may do what the Raiders did, come a little early. Um, the, the next two games are really going to show us. I think we you know, want to really keep that positive momentum going. Um, you know, I think Freddie really wants to make sure that the offense gets in rhythm because, you know, I know we hung 40, but I still think there's room for improvement. And, you know, we're bringing Callaway into the fold now. So the offense is going to be a little bit different with him. Um, but hey, hat tip to Damian Ratley. I thought he stepped in. I thought he played his role well. You know, he contributed when he could. So, you know, hat tip to him because, you know, that just shows the type of depth the Browns have where guys like Eric Murray, Damian Ratley, they can step in and contribute. Freddie said in his press conference, they wouldn't be out there if we didn't believe in them. And, you know, Freddie, the ultimate we, not me guy, says that's what he wants from his guys. So it'll be a good test. I'm I'm ready for Ratley to uh, move down the pecking order and uh, Callaway and Higgins to come back. Well, if if Damian Ratley is your number five, I think you're, you're doing all right. All right, Ian, we've been on for nearly an hour now. Where can people find your details? At Ian19 on Twitter. Um, all you Joe Schobert fan clubs. And if I'm not mistaken, I think his, his lovely wife is a supporter of yours as well. So 
you know, Mrs. Schobert, if you want to show me anything about, you know, Joe, I'm, I'm all ears. I'm more scared of Megan than I am of Joe. So, uh, yep. They are friends of the show or they were friends of the show until Ian came along. So, uh, but anyway, overall great feeling. You know, I think that there's a lot of excitement. The momentum is good. And now we just got to carry it over. I mean, I think, was it Mike Petten that said the beer tastes better, the cigars taste better, the sex is better. I mean, the whole nine yards. So one of the all-time Mike Petten quotes. Well, go Browns. And I can't wait until next Monday now for another late night game and hopefully another W. Make sure you rest up because I know that's a late one for you guys. The way it is. You can pick your sports, but you can't pick your team. So there we go. Well, buddy, you have a good one. Great catching up. Great recapping this game. And uh, we will have to connect later on down the week, right? Yep. You take care.